0: Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company Golden Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: It's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
2: Initialize
0: sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Canzano's Bald Face (laughs) Truth. B-F-F-T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Ball-Faced true.
1: Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody had an excellent weekend, a week out from Christmas. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. And we're riding on a Monday. It's good to be here. Got a lot to talk about today. Got a big Monday night football game coming up that I've got a bunch of interest in. Your Seattle Seahawks taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Two of the best looking wide receivers in this game, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. That's the lead that I'm going with. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, all-time aesthetic wide receiver showdown in this one. Uh, We'll have coverage starting at 515 here on the Portland flagship of the Bald Face Truth, 750 The Game, and streaming for free at 750thegame.com. I'm just constantly Twitter searching Geno Smith to see if there's an update on that. I know, Stephen, you're doing the same. How are you, my guy? How are you this Monday?
3: You know, dude, I'm doing really well. Uh, On that front, actually, I found Jalen Hurts news. Okay, As he's been dealing with the illness. We Adam, should
1: have a, a breaking news sounder. I don't, I don't know that we do anywhere near me. But give me, give me the lowdown, Jalen, uh, Jalen Hurts. He's he's had some illness for some time. I think he traveled separately from the team uh, to Seattle. What, lay it on me. What's the latest uh, for Adam, Jalen?
3: Adam Schefter just tweeted out a minute ago. Despite battling illness and flying to Seattle Dang separately it. from the rest of the team, Eagles Jalen Hurts. Is expected to start tonight for the team against the Seahawks.
1: All right, still nothing on Geno Safat then. No. All right, we'll keep uh, we'll keep looking. Uh, Adam Schefter, ever prescient, quote tweeted his report yesterday that Geno Smith may not play, and then uh, stated the obvious that if Geno Smith can't go, then Drew Lock would. And everybody in Seahawk land is like, "Well, no, doc, because he's the backup quarterback. You don't have to rub it in our face." Uh, so we'll go we'll stay on Gino watch Blazers played a couple of games over the weekend. Uh, I know Steven you are you are watching some of that a lot of NFL action this past weekend and uh, this league is just so unpredictable. It it can be predictable the 49ers you know blow out the Cardinals Brock Purdy in the MVP discussion. Uh, Christian McCaffrey I think is is more of an MVP than Brock Purdy, but I, I understand there's a, there's an argument for Brock. I think Kyle Shanahan's more valuable <laughs> than Brock Purdy, but he's not a player. But that, it's just a fascinating discussion that's evolved over uh, over NFL waters the last couple of weeks. Where do you come out, Stephen? Uh, before we move on on that Brock Purdy MVP debate, obviously you're you're somebody that also had a ticket on another player who did not have a great Sunday.
3: Yeah, yeah, I was rooting for a Dak Prescott big game as I have a long shot Dak Prescott MVP ticket. That's looking uh, terrible now, Judas. So now I'm turning my attention to who deserves it between Christian McCaffrey and Purdy. I disagree with you. I think it is Brock Purdy. Now, I've had questions about Brock Purdy, you know, since he got the starting gig, and I've kind of doubted him the whole time. But the guy just makes plays, and the guy is making every single play he has to possibly do and the MVP is now, nowadays is just a quarterback award, right? It's a quarterback award for the best team usually. So I think for that, Brock Purdy should be the guy. I do think that you can put a lot of quarterbacks in the 49ers system and they're going to be good. But I don't know if they would be putting up the numbers that Brock Purdy is. Like they are elite numbers, no matter what you yeah. want to say about them. So I, I think there still is a little bit of the factor. And, I, and I'm guilty of this too of saying, well, Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. He was the final pick in the draft. Like, how good can he actually be? Like, he nobody wanted him till the final pick in the draft. But I think he's kind of proven you know me wrong a little bit here, and I'm starting to believe in the 49ers and Brock Purdy that he should be the MVP of this league because I, I mean, there's a lot of chances for him to make mistakes with his 49ers team. 49ers defense isn't as good as it once was. I would say you know even last year the defense was a lot better. So I think Brock. Deserves more credit than we're actually giving Yeah, and the Niner
1: defense is still very good, but it's not elite per se to the to the degree they were a season ago. Look, as a Seahawks fan, I've witnessed Brock Purdy's ascent firsthand. Um, you know, when we played San Francisco early in the year in 2022, it was still Jimmy Garoppolo, and Garoppolo got hurt, and they had to put in Trey Lance. And then um, Lance got hurt the second time that they played the Seahawks, and they put in Garoppolo again. And then later in the year, we played him on Thursday night, and Brock Purdy, that was his first game against the Seahawks, and he really looked great. He looked flawless in a high-stress, high-pressure environment, and the 49ers kind of cruised to a win on that Thursday night in December. I think it was this week in December uh, last year. And uh, then, you know, flash forward to to this year, they have to play each other twice in three weeks. Thanksgiving night in Seattle, seven-point spread. Seattle gets run off the field. And uh, and Purdy looks great. C-Mac looks great. And then they play again, what, 10 days later? Well, I guess it would be like 17 days later um, with a Cowboys game sandwiched in between. And Purdy shreds them all over again. And the Seahawks somehow uh, cover the spread, but uh, don't do so very impressively. And uh, just seeing those two teams go up against each other in a couple of weeks' span just highlights how far they are the the Niners and the Seahawks and that's tough for me to accept as a as a Seahawks fan but it's the reality when you when you play against your rival and frankly anybody that's playing the 49ers right now I think is feeling that way
3: Did- Do you think 49ers have really elevated themselves as being the team to beat in the NFL with the Eagles struggling, and you can even put the Chiefs in there struggling? Do we believe in the Ravens all that much? Are the 49ers the clear favorite right now to at least get to the Super Bowl and be the favorites to be in that game?
1: I I think so, yeah. I I think the Ravens are an interesting conversation. Um, uh, Everybody's got flaws, but I tell you what, that 49er offense, when I watched them against the Seahawks last week and again yesterday— I, and I'm not on. I'm not online a lot. I'm not on Twitter a lot during the game because I can't really stand Twitter. But I, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this might be the best offense I've ever seen. And and part of that is is scheme with Kyle, but a part of that is Debo, freaking Samuel is not of this planet. Neither is Christian McCaffrey. And what those guys are doing is incredible. It's not like their offensive line outside of Trent Williams is full of future Hall of Famers. They're not, but. They're still knocking people off the ball. There's just advantages gained on every play design. It's it's incredible what Kyle Shanahan has done. And that is a little bit, Stephen, why I think it's hard for me to accept Brock Purdy as MVP. Because for MVP, it's a conversation award. It's, it's a legacy award of sorts. And I'd rather start the 49ers discussion by talking about Kyle Shanahan and, and Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel rather than talking about Brock Purdy. But I do understand, and your points granted, it is the best team, and he is the QB on the best team, and he's putting up great numbers to do it. It's it's hard to ignore that.
3: I think if he was putting up worse numbers, the argument to be made. But the fact that he is leading a lot of quarterback stats in the in the entire NFL, it's hard to say. Okay, well he doesn't deserve it. Like I I get it because I I'm with you, Judah. Like I think you could put maybe you know 15 quarterbacks in that system, and they are maybe just as good or better. But Brock is the quarterback on that team, and he's putting up the stats and the numbers to prove it. So I, I, it's hard for me to downgrade that just based off what you see. And I think, you know, you can put, you know, a lot of people in that, in that, in that system. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo got into the Super Bowl, was a throw away from winning the Super Bowl, and, and we obviously have seen what he did or didn't do for the Raiders this season getting benched. Like, yeah, I get it, but at the same time, like, Purdy's getting it done. And you're right with that offense. That offense, man, the defense is a little bit worse than it has been But maybe they don't have to be as good as they once were because this offense is putting up 40 points a night. And if they're going to put up 40 a game, they don't need their defense to be elite like it
1: was. (laughs) Yeah, and they're coming through a a stretch here. They played the Cowboys earlier in the year. They played the Eagles. They played the Seahawks twice. Uh, I know they got a trip to Washington uh, that's coming up. That's, you know, they'll take care of the Commanders. The only worry I have is it's a weird field out there. I think it's in better shape than it was under Dan Snyder. But, you know, and that's Kyle Shanahan's former stomping grounds when he was an offensive coordinator uh, with the, uh, at that time, the Redskins, now the Commanders. And I, I don't see this team going anything less than 13-4, and four, uh, which would be losing one more game toward the end of the year. The biggest game they have is one of the teams that you just mentioned earlier, and it's the Baltimore Ravens coming up on Christmas night. Really fascinating game. You, I know, are partial toward the Jaguars. Um I've got some of my thoughts, but what are your takeaways from where uh, the Ravens are in this discussion? Because they remain on top of the AFC standings right now, and yeah, there's some things to maybe pick apart with them, but by and large, it's a smothering defense, and Lamar Jackson still playing really good ball. Are they anywhere close in that discussion with the 49ers for uh top team in the NFL? And of course, we'll find out some degree of that answer on Christmas night.
3: I think they are, and here, here's my take about the Ravens is when you watch that team now, and you watch Lamar. Lamar has struggled in the playoffs, right? I believe he has one playoff win, maybe three losses. Hasn't really looked great in his playoff career. He looks like a completely different quarterback under Todd Munkin. And he is really trying to throw the football down the field. And he's not just trying to run and go for it, but he always has that in his bag. And he's so elusive in the pocket. Like, he's getting away and then looking to throw down the field. He looks like, he looks like a playoff quarterback now. And, you know... It was always a question: Is can he get to that level? I think he can, and I've always believed in Lamar. I always like him. I think he's a really good quarterback. But I think this is the year that Baltimore could be, you know, that elite team in the AFC. And AFC is wide open. Like, like you said, as a as a Jaguar follower, a Jaguar fan, I, I was I uh, disheartened when Christian Kirk got injured because that's Trevor Lawrence's uh, number one target. Like that's who he looks for. That's his security blanket. And I thought the AFC was wide open for the Jags to make a run. And now that Kirk's gone, I don't. The, the, they are not going to be a threat in that conference. I don't think the Chiefs are an elite team right now. Mm. I think the I think it's the Ravens right now to lose. I I don't trust Miami to go on the road if they have a, if they're at home every game in the playoffs. I might think differently, but if they have to go on the road in the playoffs, I don't trust them in a cold environment with two. I don't believe in his arms. So yeah, I think Baltimore right now. I would take them to win the AFC. I think they're really good, and I think Lamar has changed the way he plays as a quarterback, and he got that big contract. It got questioned a little bit because of the you know the non success in the playoffs, but. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, it d- yeah. does anything look like a different style quarterback that now is playing a, playing a a playoff type style and a winning playoff style at quarterback?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because they had Greg Roman for, uh, for an era there, and 49er fans will remember Greg N- uh, Roman. I almost said Craig Norman. <laughs> not quite him, too. Not quite the shark, although you'll remember Craig Norman, too. Uh, 49er fans will remember Greg Roman because he constructed the Colin Kaepernick offense that um, was, was really good. Kaepernick, you, know, you had Bruce Miller at fullback, Frank Gore, uh, Kendall Hunter, you had Crabtree, you had good possession guys, Vernon Davis. I mean, that was a biatch of an offense to go up against as a Seahawk fan, even though Thankfully, at the time, we had peak leg <laughs> legion of boom to help counter it. But those were some big-boy football matchups, 49ers, Seahawks in 2011, 2012, 2013, even 2014 in there. Um, but but Greg Roman with Baltimore, they've they, they reached their ceiling with the run heaviness. And there was this conception that Lamar couldn't function from the pocket and therefore had to be in this <clears throat> you know run-heavy scheme where you know he kind of makes plays when he does make plays out of chaos. And if you really look at Lamar Jackson the last couple of years, he's been able to function and play very well from the pocket, more than I think the public noticed. But this year, his play from the pocket has been highlighted. It's been taken to another level, I think in part because of what Todd Munkin can do. I think drafting Zay Flowers helped a lot, and I contrast that with what the Chargers did by selecting Quentin Johnston before Baltimore took Zay Flowers. And I'm just like, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> that's that's a big it's a big miss looking now at what uh, Quentin Johnston's done, what A Flowers has done. Been really cool to see the resurgence of OBJ uh, and, frankly, staying healthy. And they've done all this with Mark Andrews being out. I mean, that to me, when I think of the Ravens, I think it's tight end heavy stuff with Mark Andrews. It's not like, you know, they're still using the tight end. Isaiah likely makes big plays pretty much every week, but they're not as reliant on that. They're not an overwhelming unit the way that the Seahawks made them look a few weeks ago when the Seahawks went out to Baltimore in early November. But at the same time, when they take care of the football uh, over the course of a 60-minute game, they're a really hard offense to slow down. And I think Lamar is just—he's he he's making the right decisions, and he can make plays from the pocket. And, of course, as we saw last night, he always has the outside-the-pocket playmaking ability that makes him really scary. And I'd be fascinated to see how the 49ers deal with it because— Um, you know, that's a pass rush that really wants to get home. Uh, They're not so much the contained pass rush. I'll be eager to see if they uh, change their strategy at all on Monday night.
3: Well, and the Ravens are one of these franchises that I trust, and I think that goes a long way for me. Like, I trust Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers to get things done, when you know, whether someone goes down or it's a tough matchup. I believe in John Harbaugh as a coach, I believe in that Ravens organization as a whole. You talk about Mark Andrews going down; you know they fill in with Isaiah Likely, who's just made some big plays when they have had to have it. So you know it, it's all those ancillary pieces where you're looking at guys on special teams. You look at a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who was questioned going to the NFL, even though it was a first round pick. He
1: really was. Can,
3: can he actually play on this level? And he's turned into a really good player. He's been great. And, and it's those type of things that it's like, okay, well I trust this Baltimore Ravens organization. It's just like you trust you know the Golden State Warriors in the NBA, or you know mm. a, lot, a lot of these. Teams that just have done it for so long, you know, the Patriots back in the day with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick is like, no matter who they brought in, you the trust The Steelers
1: them. with Mitch the Trubisky Steeler. and Mike Tomlin, yeah, like, and Mason a, Rudolph, and Mason Rudolph, you just trust those guys. Duck you know Hodges I mean?
3: as well, like I just, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you these are the type of things that you trust. And the Ravens are one of those teams though, forgot dude, that forgot about Duck Hodges. That I, hey, you almost led them to a playoff. Game. <laughs>
1: that's an all-time name, better name, Tommy DeVito or Duck Hodges. Well, duck,
3: I mean, you got to Duc- go Duc- ducky Duc- ducks. Duck, duck. Do you, mean, don't you trust the Ravens organization just as a whole? Like they're just one of those teams where it's like you do a trade with them or they sign someone. You're like, all right, it's gonna work out.
1: You'd think so, yeah. I mean, I and, do. I mean and, you know, they've got I think uh Ernie Dacosta's their GM now. It used to be Ozzie Newsome, but that they've always had a lot of continuity from top to bottom and a lot of stability. But isn't that the f- a funny thing about the NFL? Like, just because you have continuity and stability, that kind of expires over time. Doesn't even that have an expiring point? And that's the joke I make with the Steelers. That's the joke uh, that we can make now with the Patriots. Uh, Longevity and continuity, hell, you know, my Seahawks kick off in two hours. And I I think the continuity and longevity there is, I mean, we're about to lose five straight games if we don't win this one. So, yeah, I, I think it's just because they've got continuity and longevity doesn't mean you should take that for granted and just say, they're going to be successful. You still have to have great great players to do it. I think Lamar undoubtedly is that great player. I also want to want to highlight their defensive coordinator Mike McDonald who came over from the Michigan Wolverines. John Harbaugh poached him from his brother Jim. He's done a very excellent excellent job with that Ravens defense. Uh, and so that's why I put them in that same category. Ravens and 49ers are, are to me, the, the class of the NFL. That would be my Super Bowl matchup right now. Of course, they're both the respective one-seeds in their conferences, so that has something to do with it as well. It's going to be hard to beat those teams on the road, and we get to see them on Christmas night. What a, what a gift, honestly, for, uh, for NFL fans is watching Ravens 49ers. Hopefully it will be a good game because there have been a lot of games uh, even this weekend that we build as big games, important games that turned into blowouts, and uh hopefully the, the this one Christmas night though will will come through. If there was a third team that you had to put in there, you know who who would that be? And I know this comes back to another ticket that you have, and another <laughs> another ticket that you're hoping catches catches uh, on a future.
3: I mean, it, it, is it wrong to say the Buffalo Bills? Right now, I know they've struggled for most of the season, but they're 8-6. and They're still on the outside of the playoffs. Like, you look at the playoffs, they start today, they're out of it. They're not even in. But I think I trust the Bills more than the Chiefs. I think I trust them more than the Dolphins. I definitely trust them more than the Jaguars, the Browns, the Bengals, the Colts, the Texans. You can take any of those teams over Buffalo Bills. Now that they have James Cook, who's cooking in the backfield, they got Stephon Dix being awesome, like he always is. Dalton Kincaid has stepped up a bit, or big force didn't have a big game last night, but you know he's been good all season long. And Josh Allen, now he has threats everywhere. Like I don't know, like I think Baltimore is better than Buffalo, but if the Bills get in the playoffs, Judah, I think they're they could be the favorite. Like that, they're not going to be afraid to go on the road. They've gone up against these big challenges. They got that, you know, they got off the, uh, they got the. Got it off their back when they beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. They finally got the dub over them like that. Uh, you know, a big spot where things got turned around and looked to be uh, bad for a second there. So yeah. I, I think it's Buffalo right now. Like, I don't trust the Eagles. I don't know that Jalen Hurts is necessarily healthy. Uh, you know, they haven't been healthy. They look bad. The defense, they made some changes. Matt Patricia calling plays now, the defensive coordinator. Like, I, I don't trust that Eagles defense. The Lions, they are they, – last week, this past week, yesterday, that was the healthiest they've been in a long time. Now, maybe that's the team I think Judah – that I would question and say, okay, maybe Detroit. If that defense gets it going, gets healthy, maybe it's them. But the one thing with call Detroit, me crazy, it's, Buff- yeah. it's Buffalo. After dominating the Cowboys, who looks like that team?
1: It's really hard to argue against Buffalo after what they did yesterday. Detroit is interesting because when they're healthy and playing in in the dome, they're hard to slow down. And you know, I was the fool that had a little Russell Wilson money over the weekend. I was like, you know what? I know I've I've crit- criticized the guy. You know, I've I've poked at him a little bit. Um obviously not a fan of the way that he kind of treated Seattle on his way out, but he's inside, he's in a dome, he's still got a big arm, they're going to cut it loose, they're going to fly, and the Broncos are going to stay within the number, and Russ will have a big game, and he absolutely did not. And uh, that entire team had trouble against Detroit, and what I think I realized was, um, you know, Detroit at home and healthy is, is a different team than Detroit not healthy on the road in Chicago, even the prior week where they, you know, had 13 points, or... Um, in these other environments. So if you go into the playoffs and yeah, Detroit will probably have a home playoff game. Um, and then, you know, should they win that? Will they have a home divisional game potentially uh, if they're the two seed, we'll, we'll see if they're the two or the three. Um, and then, but if they have to go on the road to San Francisco, like who in their right mind would take the lions to win an NFC championship game in San Francisco, right? You wouldn't like, there does seem to be a cap, On that team in terms of winning it all. And it's one of those teams you do have to kind of sniff around success before you break through the door.
3: Well, you look at in the NFC, the way the Niners handled the Eagles, one, do you give the Eagles a chance? And two, since we wouldn't, we both would agree, like the Lions going into San Francisco, that's not going to work. Like, no one's going to buy that. I don't think
1: anyone going into San Francisco
2: would buy is Isn't the next best
3: team, the Cowboys, even after their pathetic performance on Sunday against the Bills? Like, I know that they were bad. Um, but they have been good all season long. Now, 7-0 and at home, 3-4 and on the road. Yeah. I think that's a big split. You They're can just look at, like but... the Lions.
1: And by the way, they play each other, I think, in Dallas. Um, not this Saturday, but next Saturday.
3: But would the Cowboys be the only other team that you could say, all right, like I could see them maybe going into San Francisco and giving them a competitive game, along, along no. with the Eagles?
1: I think the Cowboys are just doomed if they have to go on the road. Um, the Eagles would be the only team that I would give a a slight hope for. Um, I, I think it sounds really kind of crazy, but it, it would actually be the Rams. <laughs> now the Rams play the Niners Week 18. I know you're you're laughing at me. The Rams are are seven and seven, but they are a different team right now than they were in October. They don't have a lot of names on defense outside of the obvious in '99, but boy, do they play really really hard. And Matthew Stafford is throwing trick shots again. He's back to his normal trick shot self. And Cooper Cup. he might not be 100% healthy, but he's still a damn good player. And Sean McVay is in his bag. I think McVay and Kyle Shanahan are both really feeling themselves right now. And as a Seahawks fan, it sucks because we've lost to Sean twice. And, you know, we're about to miss the playoffs if we don't win tonight. But uh, it's hard not to appreciate what both offenses are doing right now. Of course, the Niners are more complete, more whole team. And Kyle has had the upper hand on McVay his entire career outside of the NFC Championship in 2021. They both play each other Week 18, which adds a fascinating wrinkle into it. But if for some reason the Rams and Niners met up again in the playoffs, at least from an offense against a defense standpoint, I would give the Rams a little bit more of a chance than I would Dallas or Philly in a backwards kind of way, just from a matchup standpoint.
3: It is interesting. I mean, I just... I'd still have to give it to the Cowboys. I mean, they, they have been so good this season. They're one of three teams with over 400 points. The point differential, 167 on the season. That's number two in the NFL. Like, I know the schedule hasn't been great, and they just got dominated on the road, but that has to account for something. The fact that they have dominated everybody they've played pretty much all season long. Like I Well,
1: except for, you know.
3: Except for the big games.
1: The 49ers.
3: And the Bills. And the Bills. But, I mean you know they, I appreciate
1: they, you making the argument for Dallas but the but when we're talking about playoffs and going to the Super Bowl is it just Dak like, is
3: it Mike McCarthy like what is it that you don't trust about them just past you know, history
1: they, yeah that i've seen it and they've yeah. never come through
3: yeah so That's
1: fair. so it's hard to argue the other way when you've got data points and proof to the contrary so basically and I, what, I would i would like to root for Dak i'm not a, cow, a cowboy hater or even a Dak hater i think i think they've got pieces there i think it's funny that their offense is more effective with Mike McCarthy than it was Kellen Moore. Now I'm starting to wonder if Kellen Moore really is actually all that good of a, of a play caller, which is, you know, you can't, totally you backwards. You can't blame Justin Herbert for anything. That's, from, that's what I've learned. <laughs> from where I was a couple of years ago. You're right. Justin Her- Herbert is uh, immune from all criticism. So basically going through, this exer- team.
3: going through this exercise, Judah, I mean, there's what? The Ravens, the Bills, the Niners, and the Eagles? That's about it for the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, and I think – yeah, I think the uh, Eagles are just barely on the edge. I think plenty of people would have ruled out the Eagles already, but I, I think there is still something in that Eagles tank if they're able to tap into it. Uh, but defensively, they still just a, they're a little sloppier than they were last year. So I'm not even sure anybody in the NFC can sniff the 49ers. But here's here's so I thing is, is gonna,
3: it's going to be a real boring playoffs until the uh, AFC until, the NFC championship
1: game. Yeah, and even then. And even then, I'm not sure anybody can sniff the 49ers. But here's the thing. If you're out there listening to think, really, it's it's going to be a boring playoffs, I'm just saying. As soon as I felt sure about something this year in the NFL, the the exact opposite has happened. <laughs> so take that for <laughs> That's the league, man. That is the league. As soon as you feel good about something, you're like, okay, I can pinpoint this. I can understand. I can wrap my head around this. Uh, something goes incredibly wrong. And with the Niners... Unfortunately, with them, it's always a bad injury at the wrong time. So if something happens to Debo or Purdy or Ayuk or, or Christian McCaffrey or Fred Warner, then, you know, you got to throw everything out the window and, and uh, it could get it could get ugly for them. But should they stay healthy? I think the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl and I'm not sure that they're going to be tested along the way. Just think of 2019. They cruise to a one seed at 13-3. and three handled the Vikings at home, and handled the Packers like 30-8, to eight, running for 500 million yards. It feels like that kind of thing is shaping up. But again, as soon as I felt sure about something in the past, the opposite has happened. So here's my curse on the 49ers, hours before my Seahawks play in primetime. Let's go. Got to do it. All right, we'll bounce a break and come back. Damian Martinez, some interesting news coming out of Corvallis today. Uh, that will unpack. It's Judah Anoubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano right
0: here on The Bald-Face Truth. Back to The Bald-Face Truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
3: Welcome back
1: to the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. Are you getting into bowl season, Stephen? A lot of bowl games over the weekend.
3: Uh, not quite yet. Uh, I watched a few. Watched uh, some of the UCLA-Boise game. Um, that was about it, though.
1: Garbers looked pretty good.
3: Yeah, where well, was that all season.
1: Yeah. Who coaches that team? Oh. By the way, you saw what Chip said over the weekend. That just caused a firestorm, which is basically what he has told us on the show already a few times. And then for whatever reason, maybe it's just the news cycle. Uh It got picked up and run with a lot.
3: Yeah, I went back in the tonight. system and I uh, found a clip that we had pulled from back in August uh, from, I believe, like August 8th or August 7th that just, you know, one of their practices at UCLA that he said the exact same thing. So yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like he has said this numerous times, but uh you definitely heard what he said. And I, I think it's good that it's getting a little bit of buzz and
2: uh, it's probably the right idea.
1: Here, here's what he said uh, back in August. Steven, thanks for pulling this. Notre
2: Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference or everything else. Why aren't we all independent for football? And take the 64 teams in Power 5, make that one division. Take the 64 teams in Cooper 5, make that another division. We play for a championship. They play for a championship. No one else gets affected. Our sport's different than everybody else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it is a big deal for other sports. So.
1: And then he expanded on that, and this is the clip that went viral over the weekend.
2: I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left, and they say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the group of five. And we separate it, and we play each other. You can have the West Coast teams, and then every year we play seven games against the West Coast teams, and then we play the East. So we play Syracuse, Boston College, Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia. Then the next year you play against the South while you still play your seven teams. You can play a seven-game schedule. You can play four against another conference, another division opponent, and you can always play against one Mountain West team every year so that we can still keep those rivalries going. Not that I've really thought about this. <laughs> Not that I've a lot of spent time on this. But I think if you went together collectively as a group and said so there's 132 teams and we all share in the same te- we all share the same TV contract so that the Mountain West doesn't have one and the Sunbelt doesn't have another and SEC has one and they have another that we all go together. That's a lot of games and there's a lot of people in the TV world that would go through it. You can sponsor each one instead of calling it group of 5 and power 5 you can call it Amazon, Nike, bid that out to things, you know a lot of different things but i think if we still do the same thing and take all that money and i would do this and i think this needs to be done that money now needs to be shared with the student athletes and there needs to be revenue sharing the players should get paid and you can get rid of nli and the schools should be paying the players because the players are what the product is and the fact that they don't get paid is really the biggest travesty not that i've thought about it i love
1: i love chip so he basically expanded on you know things that he's iterated on this show and and earlier in the year one that you know power five and and group of five uh need to separate and uh even you know more than they already are which i think we all kind of agree with that the power five schools would have their own you know media deal which makes a lot of sense to me and at the end of the day this whole conversation comes down to what makes the most money and what makes the most sense isn't it logic against cash and if it was logic-funded, but here's the thing with Chip, and I think he's making the point that the logic route, the thing that actually makes the most sense, will actually also make the most money, just not immediately. And everybody's problem with taking the logic route is that it's also the most long-term route. And everybody, at least in the moment right now, is short-term-minded and get the cash now-minded. But, Stephen, is there a point where what Chip Kelly's talking about here will eventually manifest? and? maybe not five years down the road, but ten years down the road, because we know these things work at a snail's pace, we do kind of get this grand reformation of, quote-unquote, collegiate athletics in a way that makes a little bit more geographical sense and um, just overall sense on the student-athlete. And hopefully they'll still be called student-athletes at that point, though. I'm not sure. And uh, that there will be a bit more of a level playing field for all the participating universities and athletic departments.
3: Well, you're right that it makes too much sense and it's too logical. So that we—that means it's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> Dan it just won't let that happen. But um, I think that Chip is right about all of this because the way that football has grown into such a money-making business, it's different than all the other collegiate sports. And I love college football. I love college sports. And I don't want it to go to a 64-team A-league and then a 64-team B-league. Why not? I just
1: I like. But can't you still love college sports? You can with the A league, B league, you know, format I, and model. What, I'm just an old. I'm an old, old head here. So what, just, but dig into that. What is it about the old headedness of it that you're still wanting to, you the, know, pre, pre, preserve?
3: The thing I worry most about is that it turns into just a fully functioning minor league system for the NFL, and I don't want the whole thing with college football. Is the skill on the field is not going to be great. It's not going to be better than the NFL. There's no arguing that. The NFL is a much better product you watch on the field. What College Football has going for it is the pageantry and the traditions and the matchups and everything like that. It has turned too much into a minor league NFL system, and if they try to play the NFL game, it's not going to be as successful. It's not going to be as much fun as it once was because it's not as good a product. The players aren't as good. This is It's fine. It's just like in the NBA. The NBA G League is a better product than college basketball, but you know what? When that March Madness comes around, everybody's watching March Madness. Nobody's watching the G League playoffs. The players in the G League would dominate the players in the NCAA. But we love the pantry. we love the tradition, we love you know the bracket, and I want that to stay with college football. I'm I don't want it to go to a full-fledged minor league NFL system. That's just a, that's what I don't you mean. Want. Where
1: like. It- it becomes like a G League, like basically, yeah. Brand changes, and you don't even call them by the university names, like yes. that type of departure. Because yes. I think part of the allure, I think ultimately
3: it could end up that way.
1: Uh, interesting, and that I understand because part of the allure of collegiate athletics is the university name, the branding, right? You can basically play put anybody out there in anything, but if you went to Purdue, you're going to want to watch Purdue play against Illinois, or you're going to watch obviously Oregon State play up against you know, Utah or Oregon or or UW. If you if you start to remove that, you know, association away, then I totally get it. But
3: We already um, have full full blown free agency now in college football.
1: Yeah, but part of the allure of free agency is is going to the brand, is it not? I mean, I know it's part money, but it's but that's kind of the reasons these collectives exist, is to tie the money to the university name. And that's why people are still pick like these brands Still, are what is holding college athletics together. It's the brand of Oregon, the brand of Ohio State, the brand of Michigan. I don't see those brands going away anytime soon. You might see New Mexico State go away. You might see, you know, and I'm thinking like 10, 15 years down the road for athletics purposes. But I think, aren't we past that tipping point already where we have to preserve the the brands of New Mexico State being able to compete on the same level as a Utah? Or something like that.
3: Yeah, but why shouldn't they be given their given a chance to?
1: But that's I think what Chip is saying too is these smaller programs at universities, they'll just be relegated to the group of five and not have to face all these travel concerns that the that the big guys, you know, have to have to worry about.
3: I just I just love having all the teams in there, man. Just, just love it. We're not we're not
1: past the tipping point? No, not for me. Alright, you're still holding on. I'm holding on. I respect that. And I know
3: that it's gonna go away. I know that it's gonna change. I know it's gonna be all about the big boys. I just
1: I don't I don't want it. It's the big boys like Maryland playing Yeah, you know Rutgers. Rutgers. Like that's the big boys. That is the big boys. So that like what we sacrificed for.
3: Yeah, we sacrificed for them and we're gonna get rid of, you know, a Boise State who's had some great moments when they've gone up against the big time Goliaths. They're gonna go away because they are in Boise, Idaho, and just because Rutgers is in you know New Jersey, which is close to New York, we have to preserve them. Like I just and
1: it's, well, we've seen the rise of these other like you know I think of an SMU, and obviously they were at one point a major major player in Big Eight football, and the death penalty uh, you know killed them, <laughs> and it's they still have tons of money and working back from that. Boise State, first thing you think about, you think of what you think. of... Coach Pete Ian Johnson, Zebranski, Fiesta Bowl against Adrian Peterson and Oklahoma. <laughs> Quick trivia, who was the quarterback of Oklahoma in that Fiesta Bowl? <laughs> he will never get it. Jason White. No. It's a little after Jason White, uh, but a similar name, <laughs> Paul Thomas. Mm. Is it Paul Thomas or Paul Thompson? I can't remember exactly what what his name was, but I know Bob Stoops was the coach. I used to have that game On uh back in the day when iTunes was a thing. Paul Thompson was his name. iTunes used to sell these games. Yeah. You know, these archived games. And I bought it.
3: My brother has the uh has the Redeem Team gold medal game against Spain and he had the Steelers Super Bowl against the Cardinals, because he's a big Steelers guy. That's awesome. It's Antonio Holmes
1: catch. That's such a great one to have. Uh you know, they're on YouTube now, but you know, ads. So (laughs) it's good to have the unaddited version i i'm totally that way now i don't really have a a ton of you know i don't have my macbook that i had you know 15 years ago but uh, i had all the cardinals world series games and you know 11 the giants games and 12 a bunch of seahawks games and uh but that fiesta bowl uh you know tom breneman who i understand tom breneman's been been canceled but you know he was uh he was helping call that game on Fox, and it was just an incredible, incredible game. And Chris uh, Myers blows the proposal. Chris Myers blows Ian Johnson's proposal at the end of it to the cheerleader, which was hilarious. He's like, oh, yeah, you're about to propose to her right now, aren't you? And he's like, "Uh, thanks, Chris. Back to you in the studio. Uh, But that game, and that's what you think of Boise State, but my whole point with that is, you know, it, it's, it's a little callous to say it, but is it, isn't that the way of things? Small programs ebb and flow, and they flow, and they reach a breaking point, and then it becomes, oh, really? Remember that program? Remember when they were special? But here's part of the problem with Boise State. Tell me the last time they mattered like that.
3: I mean, we all kind of think that they when won. When they had, had Kellen it. Moore and they went to Virginia Tech and they won, and we all thought, "Oh, maybe this seems really good." And they've had they they've had Kellen wins, Moore but is but on now, his But second. now what?
1: Now oh, we're going to. He's about to get fired for a second
3: time in the NFL. Now we're going to celebrate like the Michigan State run when they make a big time run in in the college football playoff. Yeah, like that, that's that, that fun, will be the no new way, yeah.
1: that will be the new little guy to root for, even though none of us will yeah, be really yeah. rooting like, for it. Like I just
3: I don't know. That will be the new
1: version of it. If Rutgers gets into the playoff, we'll be like, "Oh my god, can you believe?" Yeah, remember the Rutgers. Twenty it
3: 2045 and Rutgers got to the final four <laughs> I just here's the thing though but with Chip's style uh, you know proposal that he has which I think it's what it's going to go to for the college basketball world and all the other sports it's perfect right because I think right now college basketball is, is a sport that I like I really enjoy college basketball but with everyone moving to the different conferences it can ruin not only just the conferences and the way games are played but it's going to be a real big factor into what happens at the NCAA tournament because right now they already have like automatic bids for all these you know teams that go to the tournament but now with the pack 2 can you really just give an automatic bid to one of them and i think it's going to give them really an easy argument to say well we don't need to give a team an automatic bid from every conference and i think that would make the tournament lose a lot of its uh you know it, it, it's
1: it's, it's intriguing. An intrigue, intrigue, yeah. Because we love to see, yeah.
3: we love to see the upsets. We love the to Missouri see
1: that. Valley champion as right. the 14 seed, and yeah, like they've lost 12 games this year. But you never know. Well, we, we
3: want to get the fairly Dickinson over Purdue upset like we saw last season. That
1: still, I cannot accept that in my head. How like it, Zach it'll just e be different. He's the best player in America, and
3: Purdue loses as a one to Farley Dickinson. When they have like a, no guys over six seven, but it, we will we, we'll lose those type of moments because we'll get you know a Minnesota taking on Purdue in the first round of the NCAA tournament, Gross. and nobody I don't need that. and nobody will care. But at least when it's Farley Dickinson, you're like, oh, well, maybe there's a chance, and we all already know, okay, there is no chance, but it's just going to be more exciting. Yeah. So for that, if it can you know help you know, save the NCAA basketball, I think that's even a better idea because right now with the way things are going with college basketball, Oregon's going to have to fly to all these big 10 schools. And that's going to be a problem because how do you do that? And how do you stay healthy? How do you stay, you know, not exhausted? You know, you are technically a student still like that is going to be a problem. So when Chip talks about that, that is right on with a hundred percent and he's correct on that, that, you know, UCLA should be playing Arizona in a conference, One game at Arizona, one game at UCLA. That should happen every single season. And it shouldn't be a non conference game. Like, that should be a conference game. So I am with them on that part. I just, you know, I worry about college football turning into minor league NFL, which I just don't want. Yeah.
1: I I can understand that. I, I also think we're probably past the tipping point, but you're also coming from somebody that didn't go to Oregon, didn't go to Oregon State. I root like heck for both programs to be successful, but I've always been more of an NFL guy. And therefore, that NFL structure or that professionalization of the, uh, the college game. Maybe it doesn't hit me as personally as it does to some out there, and I totally understand that. Our big splash is coming up next. Damian Martinez news. We promised it uh, earlier. It's coming up next. Talk about his eligibility and desire to play in the Sun Bowl as part of our big splash. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. And you can call in at
0: 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald-Face Truth with John Canzano on 750
1: The Game. We'll take a couple of your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Jude Anubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. This is the Bald-Face Truth, but we promised it before the break, and let's get to it. It is our
0: big splash.
4: This is the Big
3: Splash!
0: Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about.
1: Well, it was a few weeks ago that uh, Oregon State running back Damian Martinez was arrested for DUII, released, but also uh, was initially you know, suspended by the athletic department. No charges were filed um, at all by the um, the district attorney's office. And as a result, Scott Barnes said, okay, Damian, no charges. Therefore, he'll be reinstated and uh, he's eligible to play. So we're thinking Damian Martinez is going to play. This was Friday afternoon. Here we are on Monday afternoon. And uh, it's doubtful that Damian Martinez is going to play because interim uh, head coach uh, Kefency Heinsen says, well, in all likelihood, he's just physically not going to be ready. He took a little bit of time off uh, from uh, after his arrest, and he's been back in Texas. Uh, probably doesn't seem like he's he's ready. Here's just one clip. We'll talk about this a little bit more in our, our uh, second hour as well from interim coach Heintzen. And Damian Martinez, um, I think that's still pending. I'm not sure. I don't expect him to play. Oh, um, well, now he's,
0: you're not expecting him to play? Yeah,
2: I just think it's a matter of him just – the shape of it. I'm, I'm just, you know, we got to see what kind of shape he's in. He took us a little bit of time off. And, uh, so we'll
1: see. And he continued, and we'll play some of that audio later in the show. He took some time off. He's just probably not quite physically ready, and he just doesn't want to put somebody out there that's that's not physically and, and maybe, um, you know, mentally fully bought in and fully ready to play a bowl game like the Sun Bowl that's coming up in about 11 days. I'll talk more about that, but that is our Big Splash. Also, Big Splash Part B, Geno Smith active for your Seattle Seahawks tonight. Let's go. Hey, he was always going to play. You did call that. He was always going to play. Let's go out to line one. Roy's in Portland. Wants, uh, wants to talk Chip Kelly. It's good to talk to you, Roy. How you doing?
4: Hey, Judith Stephen. How you guys doing? Good, man. You know, I like Chip, but uh, no. Sorry, thanks, but no thanks. I don't like that. I don't want that idea. I like the SEC. I don't care if we don't play any teams outside the SEC. I mean, I, I don't care about I don't care about playing the West Coast teams or, or East Coast teams. I only care about playing other SEC schools. Okay, I care about playing Tennessee and Florida. That's what I get up for. And, and you know, <laughs> I care play about playing Alabama and Arkansas and Texas. I don't care about if we play UCLA or Oregon. That doesn't do anything for me. Sorry. So uh, the little 64 team that that's that's not that, that that's not going to work. You know, the whole thing you could blame everything on the Big 10. Because when the SEC expanded with Texas and Oklahoma, that that's kind of in the same geographical footprint. But the Big 10 just couldn't let it go. So they had to get in with uh, uh, USC who wasn't happy with the Pac-12 and they formed this stupid USC the U- UCLA in the Big 10. That's how it all started. And then you get dumb stuff like UCF and the Pac twelve and a uh, Big Twelve and you know I mean uh, you, uh, the the Big Ten started the whole mess. I'm sorry. Uh, you know Oregon should not Oregon Washington UCLA and USC should not be in the Big Ten. They they, they 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 should not be in the Big Ten. And I think I still think if they would have waited longer and and just you know everybody calmed down, the Pac twelve could have survived. It really could have. But you know, everybody everybody got antsy. USC got antsy, and then Oregon, of course, Oregon and Washington have to leave. But you know that that 64 team thing is not is not going to work because fans love conferences. I love my SEC conference, and I don't want to just have 64 teams playing other teams. You know that that, that doesn't work for me.
1: Thanks for the phone call, Roy, as always. I got a couple more Georgia follow-ups for him, but we, we're up against a break.
3: That is a good point, though, because the way that Chip Kelly put this out, it works great for the West Coast, works great for the Pac-12. Does not work for the rest of the country? I don't know. That <laughs> but that's... it just
1: means more out here. You that's know? true. It does it, mean more just, out here. <laughs> obviously, it means more out here. I want to respond to that uh, a little bit to kick off hour two. Also, Cam and Eugene, we'll, we'll get to your call, too, and uh, your follow-up. But he does, he does bring up an interesting point, And it's always good to take a deep breath and remember that none of this really makes sense. The SEC expansion can kind of, you know, make an argument. The rest of it, not so much. Hour two is ahead.
0: BFFT Now. Built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Bald-Faced bald faced Truth. Hour 2, Bald-Faced Truth,
1: Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Canzano, here in Portland at 5.15, joining at kickoff, Seahawks-Eagles, Monday Night Football from Westwood 1, streaming for free at 750thegame.com. Talk about that matchup. A little bit more later in the show. A couple breaking news notes out of that matchup: Geno Smith active, he'll play, he'll dominate, he'll be great. Jalen Hurts, he'll play, he'll be fine. But uh, you know, he's sick. So, although Steven, do you buy into this theory?
3: Advantage Seahawks. Oh, no. really? Well, well, when you're sick, you're, your when, thought process. When
1: you're sick, you play
3: better. That's what people say. Who says this? You know, people. Jordan ruined everything. The flu game. <laughs> Jordan ruined everything. No, when you're sick, you don't play better. You feel worse.
1: Everybody's like you just fo- You go to another level with your focus.
3: Or you don't have the same stamina that you usually have, and you're coughing out there, and you have a hard time breathing. And you still
1: somehow ball out of
3: your mind. Jordan ruined it just because he got wasted in Vegas.
1: Pizza. Bad pizza. Right. I, I loved that. 30 for 30. You know... It went, well, was it a 30 for 30? It wasn't a 30 for 30. It was just uh, the Jordan doc, Last Dance.
3: Yeah, I don't know if it was technically 30 for 30. It
1: I haven't have. finished it, but I started a 30 for 30 over the weekend. That was really interesting um, about Reggie White, mm. the Minister of Defense. And I tell you what, I could watch highlights of the hump move for like 30 minutes and not get tired of it. That is, like, the most dominant move in the history
3: of sports.
1: I mean, more...
3: There, there's, more a joke, there's a joke there, but I... I well, know, I know. Watching I, the, hump know, move the hump move for 30 minutes. Move, I can watch. <laughs>
1: That's true. I can't believe I said that with a straight face. Trust me, I could watch the hump move longer, longer than 30 minutes. I did this week, you Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reggie White's hump move in particular... You're right. Sorry. I, I forgot that I ran right into that uh, joke. But Reggie White's Hump Move, it's, like, intoxicating. And uh, I still can't get that out of my head. But that the documentary was really interesting. And, you know, I think, you know, it's easy to think about Reggie White as a certain um, type of man. And he obviously uh, passed away, you know, well, much too soon. Um, you know, and uh, as, a, as a believer myself, I'm always interested watching other, you know, Christians in the public space and, um, you know, how they kind of behave and, and operate. And there's, you know, things <laughs> to be emulated. There's definitely things not to be emulated. Um, not necessarily out of Reggie in particular, but it's, it's really fascinating to see Reggie. And th- the reason I bring it up is because, uh, there was unedited or, uh, uh, never before seen interview footage with Reggie White that was taped just a month before he died, um, at age 43 that had, no one had ever seen before. So uh, getting getting to some of that and getting to, to some of uh, his son, Jeremy, uh, talk about, about him and how even Reggie, after he retired and then kind of stepped back from the public light because he was preaching all the time, he was visiting churches, this, that, and the other. Um, but when he kind of stepped back and, and there was about a five-year period from his retirement, and kind of stepping back from the from the public uh, spotlight to the work that he did on himself in that five year span was incredible, and and really something that resonated strongly with me, um, just on a personal level and personal development. And then you forget, as you're kind of wrapped into his personal journey, how insane of a badass football player this guy was. And this is one of the, like, true childhood superstars that I grew up with of, of 90s football. And you, I think of the 90s NFL, I think of Summerall and Madden on Fox and NFC games. I think of Reggie White's hump move. I think of those old kind of dark red 49ers jerseys, dark red and gold and some of those battles. Um, the far, far, finally winning a Super Bowl, uh, beating Parcells and the Patriots, Uh, Elway finally breaking through and getting over the hump, as it were, himself by winning a couple, the Dirty Bird Falcons and Jamal Anderson, and, you know, my Seahawks absolutely stinking, but it's okay because we're about to turn the corner. We have Dennis Erickson. You know, this is the type of football that I grew up with. So uh, the Reggie White-Doc, that that hit a, a place in my heart. Uh, talking a little college football as well, if you've got any thoughts on that, maybe childhood, uh, you know, star superhero uh, NFL players or other sports heroes in your life when from growing up, let me know, 503-417-7575, or if not heroes, just guys you associate with your childhood in sports, uh, whether it was watching them in person or on TV, because Reggie White was definitely one of those for me. Uh, Stephen, uh, uh, any of, of those for you uh, that you can think of? And if you need a moment, we can go to uh, the phone lines, too. Let's go to Cam and Eugene on line two first. Uh, hey, Cam, you have uh, you were talking college football. We were talking that in hour one and Chip Kelly's take that we need some consolidation and some logic to all of this. Where, where do you come out on that?
5: Uh, yeah, real quick, you guys are taking me back with your lead-in after the commercial break. For me, it's Joe Montana and everybody else, and if you're talking about <laughs> Athletes who overcome bad situations for amazing games. Don't forget about uh, Brett Favre the day after his father passed away. That's oh, an amazing man. performance on Monday Night Football. Yep. Going to the the subject at hand, the college football. Um, I do think there's a real danger of college football becoming a minor league sport and losing a lot of attention from excited fan bases it's almost it would play out almost like a south park episode where it gets bigger and bigger and it builds to crescendo and then at the very end they're like oh it's just minor league football and everybody goes away <laughs> There's a lot of things college football has that the NFL doesn't have that's fun to see, like the three-three-five defense or the spread option or when Georgia Tech was running the wishbone. I just think the, the closer you get to the NFL, you're going to lose those things one at a time, and it's like a frog in boiling water. You're not going to realize it until it's just totally different. You don't care anymore. Um, and then how long until one of these teams ends up offering a player more than a rookie contract in the NFL? All those numbers are artificially low. Because of that agreement that was made, Sam Bradford was the last quarterback to really get paid, and now they're taking you know, about half what they got before, in some cases probably less. It's just a matter of time before somebody's got to pay, take a pay, tech, a pay cut to go to the NFL. And then at that point, the NFL is going to be upset, and you're going to have a whole other fight on your hands. I'll leave you with this one thing, and I admit I haven't checked the statistics, but when you open the program, you're talking about NFL MVP. Granted, I am a 49er, but... If you ask me, we have been a completely different team for a season and a half now since Christian McCaffrey joined the team, and I have not <laughs> seen a player make an impact like that on an NFL roster in a long time. I'll take your comments offline.
1: Thank you. Oh, Cam, I love where your brain is today, my friend. That was that was excellent. A uh, few things to unpack out of that. I'll start with the last thing, the Niners point. That's, that's what I'm saying, and I love Brock. I, I mean, I really appreciate Brock and everything he's done. But the, the team is fundamentally different post-CMC trade. you know. And with that guy healthy, and even he has missed a little bit of time, but with that guy healthy, that's a different team. With him and Debo healthy and Kyle Cullen plays, it's a different team, and you drop the quarterback into it. Now, of the quarterbacks they've dropped into that system, Brock is clearly the best. And it's not close. But the MVP of football? I mean, have we lost our minds?
3: But, okay. Are we, are we overrating the importance of the quarterback then? Is that what you're saying? That can't be. That can't that be true. That sounds stupid to even say out of my mouth right now. I like, think I we're underrating
1: Kyle Shanahan and Christian McCaffrey. Is
3: but Kyle have, Shanahan but have, the most valuable player? Without He is.
1: He is the most valuable player. And I understand he's not a player, but dang, he might as well be. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. So, But you, you brought the pulling up in hour one. It goes to the team's best quarterback. Unless Dak starts to actually nut up in big games, which he's not been able to. So outdoor games, I should say, which he's not been able to. Um, not to mention getting his own clock cleaned by the 49ers. Um, another <laughs> part of that, what Cam mentioned, and you know, we'll get back to Brock here in a moment, but the, the NFL has a really fascinating role to play with the collegiate athletic space. Because I was thinking about this over the weekend myself, Cam, so I think it's interesting you brought it up with the rookie you know, quarter, w- with the wage scales... Um, going on, you know, if you're a first round pick and some of the bonus money that you're signing as a, as a high first round pick, like that's, you're not going to be touching that in the NIL space for some time, at least not consistently. Um, but if you extrapolate NIL dynamics over time, maybe you can see a world where you're getting there with some of your star collegiate players taking, you know, quote unquote pay cuts. You might see it for more middle to late round picks. You know, quote unquote, taking pay cuts like what? He, some guy at Nebraska. We'll use that as an example where the NIL dollars are flush, and uh, but he projects as like a fifth, sixth round pick. But that's kind of who he is, and you know, he's he's homegrown and bred, or maybe Midwest born and bred. He's an offensive lineman, and he's making NIL wads. But the sixth round salary that he's going to get, maybe he got hurt late in the year, and his draft stock gets hurt, and that affects you know compensation late in the draft, like. All those type of dynamics at play, yeah, I could see a scenario where you're quote-unquote taking a pay cut from the NIL space to the NFL space. But the NFL is so much damn hubris that they will pretend like, even if it is an actual issue, they are in no way going to acknowledge any kind of an actual issue with NIL compensation threatening professional compensation. And they won't even pretend that it's that it's actually a threat to the game. They, they won't acknowledge it. They're the NFL. They've got more dollars than anybody. Yeah, there's a salary cap. But I, I really think you're probably going to have to get 15 to 20 years down the road with this NIL business to truly get in the conversation of, yeah, we've got a problem with our rookie wage scale relative to what guys are accustomed to making. The majority of guys are accustomed to making in the NIL space. I, th- I still think we're a far way away from that. But I grant you it's it's probably a closer conversation now than most of us are comfortable having as well. I, I just don't think the NFL will ever acknowledge it.
3: Well it was a week ago when there were reports coming out that Marvin Harrison Jr. was apparently getting offers from N- Ohio State NIL collectives that would be in the range of a rookie contract. Not quite up yeah. to the exact rookie contract, but, you know, pretty close and comparable. And Marvin Harrison even said, you know, he came out and said, Well, I haven't decided yet, you know, I got a lot of stuff I wanted to do still. And so I do wonder if we are really close to maybe just for certain players, you know, Caleb Williams is kind of threatened like, yeah, you know, maybe I can come back to USC and have another year so I don't have to uh, go to the Cardinals unless you give me ownership. So, I think, I think that's
1: true. I just think that those like really but public it's, it's examples few and far are few and far between. Yeah. Example. And
3: yeah. And I think, I also think that the NFL is king. So you're right. Like, I don't think the NFL is going to yeah. have a problem. with Yeah. I'm it.
1: coming back to college. So what? Yeah. You nobody what cares. I mean? Like, guess what? No, no one cares. Well,
3: NFL will be fine.
1: Johnny <laughs> Manziel, great college, college player. You know, maybe that's a tough comparison because he watched exactly zero film. But
3: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. Like the NFL, like you're right, the NFL does not care about it at all. Like they they know they'll be fine. But at the same time, like if they really wanted to make it and they cared about it, they would just bump up like, the contracts just a little bit. Like I mean, it wouldn't be a big deal. It wouldn't be a big hurt on them. So uh, I I'm with the caller though. I do think that like that's my fear is like this turns into just a money game. And now you know, there's I mean, there's already so much money in cultural ball, but then it's gonna be just. Like, we're just going to throw money around in college football and then it turns into the minor league NFL. That's just Mm -hmm. not what I want.
1: Yeah, yeah. Another thing Cam brought up, uh, guys that he associates with his childhood, Joe Montana. Uh, It's a little bit before my childhood, obviously, but how can you not appreciate Joe Montana and the the West Coast offense and the 49ers and Bill Walsh and and everybody? And, you know, I I read about Bill Walsh from time to time and thinking about, like, they were 2-14 and in his first season in San Francisco, and but and this guy i mean he is like painstaking for the details it was killing him uh to be 2 and 14 and then over time they turned that around it actually relatively quickly and eventually you know broke through um and won a super bowl which would be the first of a few for them and um and uh joe montana doing everything but then people are talking about brock purdy and obviously you know if you watch the game enough you know that Brock Purdy is throwing the ball down the field uh, with a lot more regularity and accuracy than the dink and duck that a lot of people want you to to believe. And I fully grant that. And then they'll say, oh, but what about Joe Montana? Think of how many, like, seven-yard or slants or five-yard slants that he threw to Jerry or John Taylor or any of those guys that they just caught and took to the house. Like, you can see those highlights in your mind's eye with regularity. And I I couldn't compare the numbers. You know, obviously Montana had a – a Good enough of a deep ball to get it to some of these Hall of Fame talents as well. But that's part of this system, exploiting space and highlighting your great players and the quarterback's job is to get the ball to them. I think the obvious difference in legacy is that Montana won four of the things, and Brock has won a playoff game. Like, what playoff game? So that that's that's obviously the difference. But when we're talking MVP of the league, it's also Drew Brees never won an MVP.
3: It's so hard for me. I mean, Drew Brees didn't win an MVP. We're just gonna hand one to Brock Purdy. But, but we're not handing him one, Judah. Like we're just not. His stats are unbelievable. I mean. Second in passing yards in the whole NFL. First in yards attempt. First in touchdowns. Second in completion percentage. He's offensive player of the year. First in 40-plus yard passes down the field, not even close. First in 20-yard passes, not even close. He's not the the most valuable player on his team. He is number one in almost every passing category. How are we not going to give him the MVP when he's number one in the passing category and he's on
1: the best team? He's the QB on the best team with the best stats award. Maybe I think what we're coming down to it. But that's my thing. Maybe I think either A, too highly of the MVP and put it too much on a pedestal. Or B, I just define value differently than everybody else. But
3: he's earned it, though. That's the thing. If he if he was putting up stats where he was middle of the pack or top ten, you know, he's got eighth, ninth in yards, eighth, ninth in completion percentage and touchdown passes. Then yeah, I think I can argue it. But he's at the top of all these categories. We're wow. not just giving him the giving him the MVP. He went out and he earned it. He's put up the best quarterback stats in the NFL, and then on top of that, he's on the best team. So like, that's where the difference is. Is you know, you look at like the Heisman Trophy this year right? Jaden Daniels stats were just much better than Michael Penix juniors. If you added the Russian stats. And so they had to I get, I would have
1: given it to Penix.
3: They had, but they, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. They had to give it to him because the stats were combined. Cause you know, rushing who's and playing passing. big
1: games at the end of the year. It's not Jaden Daniels. Like well, who's the, playing oh, the defense
3: sucks. Who's oh, playing any bigger do? games than Brock Purdy? Nobody. Well, I mean, and he's winning and he's thriving and having great games against all these really good teams. Like, that's my thing, He though, didn't have like, a
1: great game in Cleveland. If he someone didn't have a great up... game against... Uh, they had a three-game losing streak in there. Can't and those were right all there. the losses. And those <laughs> were all, all the losses. They've turned around since then. And he's easily got the best talent and the best coach in football. But like, he... that's, that's you know, that's what's that's the
3: reality of it with him. Like, he, he's, he's I don't, doing well with it. I've questioned Brock Purdy, Judah. But I've questioned stats, him too, obviously. His stats say a different story that he deserves the MVP. Like, there's never once in the, in the NFL history where the number one quarterback on the number one team with the number one stats isn't going to get the MVP. Like That's it, what makes it a
1: history. fascinating discussion because I, I agree with you. I think this year it should it should go to somebody else besides that. I think it should go to the guy that Brock Purdy said it should go to. That's Christian McCaffrey.
3: (laughs) Proves he's even more of the MVP. Selfless. He's more valuable. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Uh, That's that's fascinating. How about athlete growing up that uh, you think of your sports fandom growing up you associated with an athlete could be the NFL or otherwise. I brought up Reggie White. Caller brought up Joe Montana. What is it for you?
3: Yeah, I mean for me, obviously Michael Jordan growing up, like that's that's the guy you watch playing basketball. Jordan. I was a big Hakeem Olajuwon guy. So when Jordan retired and went to baseball, and the Rockets won the two NBA championships, you know I was all about that. Um, And that was kind of the the era in basketball was the big centers and doing post moves and the dream shake and stuff like that. So I love that. Um, And then I, you know, I liked the Cowboys growing up. So like Emmitt Smith was always my guy, like run the football with Emmitt and just let him do his thing. So those are kind of the guys. And then Griffey, I think for the other one, if you look at baseball. Wow. Like Griffey was the dude and he still is like he is the man. And I think most people do love him. But when I associate like cool people to sports, like Griffey was always the coolest.
1: (laughs) It's hard to get cooler. Than Griffey, um, the
3: stance, and I was left-handed. When I hit, you know, when I hit, I'm left-handed, so it's like, yeah, like Griff,
1: oh really? Griffey's
3: my guy. Yeah, wow. I hit left-handed. Uh, Playing
1: mean center field, climbing. No, walls. I was I
3: was shortstop, bro. Oh, you know me. Do you throw lefty?
1: No, I oh, throw righty. Throw righty.
3: Hit lefty. <laughs> uh, golf lefty.
1: If we had a left-handed throwing shortstop, I I, I safe, think though. I would have had to walk off the show. We uh once growing up, we had a left-handed catcher. I know that's crazy to me. Isn't that so funny? Did somebody how do that? Somebody in the minor leagues had a left-handed catcher recently, and I was just like, what is happening out there? My eyes hurt.
3: I think it just showed how bad our other catchers were.
1: Yeah, but you can get away with that in Little League. Did yeah. you umpire at all in Little League? Oh, no. Oh, I definitely umpired Little League. I, uh... I was good. I'm not. John was talking about how good he was the other day. I, I uh, identified with that. I was like, I, I was I was pretty good. Coaching and umpiring and refereeing is not my thing. You know what I was not so good at was refereeing soccer when I didn't know the rules. Well, that would be hard. <laughs> I didn't know what offsides was. Some kids just chilling behind the defense against the ball and scores. And I'm like, wow, nice move. And the rest of the parents are looking at me like, dude, I was offsides. I'm like, what do you expect me to do? I like baseball. Like, come on, <laughs> like, you know, stop giving me such a hard time for not knowing what are the most fundamental rules of the game. Uh, by the way, if you start, to, I don't watch a lot of hockey, but I'm starting to watch a little bit more because they've got some games on ESPN Plus. Some of the games are available on DraftKings. So read between the lines. Uh, starting to try to understand what hockey's all about is pretty fascinating too, Steven, Are you much? Of a, I, I'm almost getting to the point where. I'm not going to say I understand the game of hockey totally, but I I understand more now than I did a couple weeks ago. We're
3: going to have uh, in-depth conversations about the Vancouver Canucks third string or the third line. Oh, well,
1: I'm not there yet. I don't think they've played on ESPN plus yet.
3: <laughs> hockey, uh yeah, I, I mean I, I understand the rules. I know the rules of hockey, but yeah, I just can't get into it. I'll sometimes watch like if it's the Stanley Cup, you know, it's one of those where it's like, yeah. wake me up for the playoffs, wake me up for the Stanley Cup and uh yeah, you know, I'll
1: pay attention. Uh, that was one thing with the NBA people were saying the regular season is starting to get more and more irrelevant. People don't start to watch until Christmas. It's all about the playoffs. I would definitely make the same argument about hockey. Obviously, we don't have an NHL team in Portland. Some people are watching more Kraken, but I don't got the cash for Root Sports Plus.
3: Well, isn't the Sorry, not sports, sorry. I
1: ain't watching the Kraken anytime soon.
3: The only sports we care about regular season is the NFL and college football, isn't it?
1: But how do you think the in season tournament affected that narrative, if any?
3: For me, zero. Oh, the, really? the ratings the ratings didn't prove anything. The ratings proved oh. like it was a regular season game. So I don't know that. That's a little d-
1: disappointing to me.
3: And watching the games like, people wanted to say, oh, it was playoff intensity. Like, sure, they cared more, but it wasn't the defensive intensity. It was the offensive intensity. The offense was way up in, the all, in every end-season tournament game. The scoring flew over the totals in all of them. You know, as a guy that you know pays attention to gambling trends and stuff like that, there was a lot of scoring in the end-season tournament. The defense wasn't actually there, so the intensity didn't really rev up on the defensive side. That's the difference in the hmm. NBA is when you get to the playoffs, that's when teams start really buckling down on defense. You get scores, you know in the low 100s or even under 100 in the tournament, scores were flying. So, yeah, like, it worked in the fact that, like, we kind of talked about it and it was made up where, you know, LeBron said he cared and he he owed it to everybody, but, at, like, for me, it didn't have that big of an effect, and I think it was a little overblown of how big of an impact it had actually on the regular
1: season. Well, that's, I mean, the fact that LeBron and the Lakers, I mean, that's a best-case scenario, that they got all the way there and won the thing outside of Milwaukee getting there as well. Um, even though it did also help give us this Milwaukee Indiana uh, beef, which is pretty funny and fascinating. I, I don't understand why one of the games, one of the semifinals was at two in the afternoon, uh, Pacific time, five Eastern. Nobody's watching that, okay? That, that's one ratings ratings issue. Um, and but other than that, I did find it a little bit more intriguing than I thought I would. So I'm surprised that you know, pretty much everywhere else it was just treated as a regular season game, especially with the Lakers in it. And, uh, and winning that thing. But um, I'm interested to see if that, over time, makes the regular season or at least December basketball any more appealing. Um, but right now, same thing with hockey. It's a postseason sport. You tune in for the postseason. It's a different sport in the postseason as well, and that's why you, you tune in to watch. It'll
3: even be interesting even next season if they do the in-season tournament because there was a stretch where I believe it was like a two-year stretch in the All-Star game when they changed the format. Yeah. They actually started playing a little bit harder, and then this past season – Literally nobody cares.
1: And now are we going back to usual All Star stuff? I can't. I wish I it. knew, Judah. It's I like really trying to understand what a catch is. The
3: All Star game is one of the most pointless things to watch in the NBA. I think. I used to really like it. We, yeah, because that's when we were little kids, we were watching like Magic and Jordan. Like now we just don't care because no one else cares about it.
1: And guys wore their actual team jerseys, which was sick. Yeah, you know whether it was whites or darks, and like I'm the fuddy duddy dude. I hate this fact that we're wearing all kinds of jerseys and all kinds of courts. This
3: sucks, dude. This sucks.
1: Wear your whites at home. Wear your darks on the road. Like,
3: that's how we do what this What do you think of Oregon's uniforms, how, then? What do you mean? They wear everything. Everywhere.
1: In, in, in football? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's football.
3: Oh, different sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. but I will say this. If you're not the Dolphins or the Cowboys, don't wear white at home. That is such garbage. The Seahawks wore white at home for a game this year. I couldn't believe what I was watching. They're like, oh, it's the throwbacks to our 2013 Super Bowl team. I'm like, the hell it is. Like, we're not, we don't wear whites at home. What are we doing? It's so, it's such, it's so bad. But, you know, that's a traditional fuddy-duddy in me. We're a little less than an hour away from kickoff between the Seahawks And the Eagles, looks like Jalen Hurts is going to play, and Geno Smith is going to play as well. Talk about that matchup a little bit more. Got some punching audio in front of us and the 5 at 5. It's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano here on the Bald Face Truth.
0: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Well, it's a must-win tonight for the Seattle Seahawks against the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. Um, I am reluctantly taking the Seahawks to win, and it's an emotional pick as well. I do, look, this team started 6-3. and They've lost four in a row. Rams, Niners, Cowboys, Niners. The last three of those, obviously, are teams you would understand them losing to, especially the Cowboys in Dallas. The Rams one, that's a tough one to swallow. Gino got uh, slapped upside the head. Not really. He got hit in the arm by Aaron Donald in that game, and he had to go out in the fourth quarter, and Drew Locke had to come in for a couple of series. Stafford had to miss a, a series or two, and he came back into that game. That's the game right there, the Rams game. Frankly, both games against the Rams this year. Week one in Seattle, and uh, the game against them uh, before Thanksgiving. Going 0-2 against Sean McVay and then expecting to make the playoffs as the third best team in your division. It's a tough task. Not impossible, but it's a tough task. So here are the Seahawks, losers of four in a row. Defense not really playing great. Conversations up in Seattle are Pete's lost the locker room. There's not enough leaders on the team to keep people accountable, which may or may not be true. I'm inclined to believe that it may be. Uh, Jamal Adams is calling out random reporters and their wives uh, in New York and then proceeding to play terrible coverage. Um, You know, there's not a lot that's going in in Seattle's favor right now. Uh, There are three-and-a-half to four-point dogs, uh, especially with Jalen Hurts playing. You could argue that the Eagles are, you know, getting a reprieve in their schedule at the right time because the Eagles are coming off a Bills-49ers-Cowboys trifecta. That's a tough schedule to navigate, even though um, they beat the Bills, didn't they? <laughs> they did, yeah. They beat the Bills, but that was a game that took a lot out of them, and then they got schwacked by the Niners and the Cowboys in kind of predictable spots. I was pretty excited for the Niner matchup, but then when you see it unfold, you're like, oh, goodness. They are in two different worlds physically right now. So, uh, Stephen... I'm going to take the Seahawks in this game. I'm interested where your mind goes when you shape up these two teams now that you know that uh, both quarterbacks look like they're going to play.
3: Yeah, I mean, there is there is doubt though right now about Geno Smith, Judah. I don't know if you've seen this.
1: Oh, no, I haven't. I've seen um, that he's active. Well, Adam Schefter
3: reported that Geno is active, but then he also tweeted, doesn't mean he's going to start. And another tweet. And now Brady Henderson, uh, he said in his radio hit, John Schneider said Geno Smith Surprised his hands with how good he looked in pregame warmups. He noted that while Smith is active, they still have about an hour until kickoff to figure out what's going on. Schneider also said that Drew Locke first t- took first-team reps in practice all week. So uh, does that throw a little wrench in what your thought process is going forward? Because uh, for me, I think you know if, if it's a lock, I think I would definitely like the uh, Eagles a little bit more in that situation. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm with you. I think this is a game that Seattle needs, and they've gone through a really rough stretch. If they can't get this one, I, I think you can kiss their playoff hopes goodbye, basically. <laughs> like, that. this is what it is. So, I, I, I like Seattle in the game. I think Seattle money line is the way to go. I think Seattle's going to win this game outright with the way Philadelphia's defense has struggled. But If Geno plays. I mean... Even if Drew plays. If Drew plays, I would feel less excited about it, but I still think Seattle's going to win
1: this like, game. Drew's not as bad as, as everybody wants to think, but... The fact, like, his ceiling is a functional backup in the NFL. That's his ceiling. That's who he is. Can functional backups win? Yeah, every now and then. Biggest game of the season against the team that went to the Super Bowl last year? You know, my hopes aren't as high. John John Schneider's quote
3: was, quote, we've got 54 minutes here to figure out what's going on, end quote.
1: All right, they know what's going on. This is, that's bologna sandwiches. That's what that is. That's 54 minutes of bologna sandwiches from John Schneider. So I'm trying to read between the lines here. Obviously, they know what's going on. In my head, and this is what I've thought for the last two weeks, I thought they could have played Geno Smith against the 49ers. They could have. They chose not to because that's going to be a tough game to win anyway. There's a really good chance that Geno gets beat up again by that ridiculous defensive line that's got Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Javon Kinlaw, and oh, by the way, Chase freaking Young. Oh, and Eric Armstead. Yeah, I can see putting Drew Locke out there for the second time you're playing him. By the way, you got your ass kicked against him, you know, a week and a half before that. Why trot out a banged up Gino, who injured his groin in practice, which I also find a little suspicious, injured his groin in practice by getting knocked over by one of his own offensive linemen on a follow-through. The very cynical side of me but hey, sometimes it pays to be cynical in the NFL, is that Geno really hasn't been that hurt. And they've wanted to give him a little bit of time to to recoup. He was hurt enough that they wanted to not play him against the Niners, but it was always in their plan for them to play him in this game against the Eagles. But they're trying to really go to the nth degree to play mind games with the Eagles. Now, they're, why would they want to do that?
3: They're playing chestnut checkers.
1: Yeah, here's the Windhorst moment. Why, why would they want to do that? Why would they want to play mind games with the Eagles? Well, could be any number of reasons. But one of my deep cuts is that Sean Desai is the defensive coordinator with the Eagles. And he's not having a great year, even though they're 10-3. and 3. Their run defense is pretty poor, and everybody in Philly is kind of mad at him. Oh, and by the way, he's not going to be calling plays on defense tonight. You'll be seeing a lot of a certain bearded man, I, believe, I think he's still bearded, that we all know and love in Matty P, Matt Patricia, Ty Caronda, Ty Conderoga, Matt Patricia, with the pencil in his hat and everything, will be calling plays for the, for the Eagles on defense. Yes, that's right. Last year's New England Patriots offensive coordinator will be tonight's Philadelphia Eagles defensive play caller. Figure that the hell out. I sure can't. Thanks, Bill, for nothing. The hell is going on last year? But, so, you know, Patty Ice, Patricia, will call plays defensively. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, you know, they know Sean Desai. He was on the Seahawks coaching staff last year with Pete Carroll and Clint Hurt. So he knows a lot about their language and scheme and just the way that they're trying to do things, which is certainly branching off of the traditional Pete Carroll philosophy and uh, scheme. And so they know that Desai knows all this stuff, and he's probably been sharing this information like crazy. So to combat some of that, they're playing some chess at the QB position with the status of um, Geno Safat Smith. I think Geno's going to play. I think he's always you know, been set to play. I think John Schneider has said that Drew Locke took snaps with the ones and all that, and you know, I think they're just going to the nth degree to play chess, not checkers. I could be totally wrong. I often am. But I think when the Seahawks get the ball first tonight, Geno Smith will be taking first-team reps and we'll be a little bit surprised at how good he looks. The second kind of deep-cut you know, uh, scenario that I see on the cynical side is that this is a cop-out for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They lose this game with Drew Locke. Hey, it's not our fault we missed the playoffs. We had to play Drew Locke in two of the most important games of the year. Which of those two sides do you think is more reasonable, Stephen?
3: Um, I, I think it's the... First one, and I think that because you know I I don't buy into the whole thing that you know P. Carroll's lost the locker room things like that. I think they're pretty safe with their job security with what they pulled off last season after you know having no expectations making the playoffs. I don't think that they've lost. I don't think they've lost the locker room. I don't think that they really need to worry about their security. So I don't. I don't think the fact that they would go out of their way to say you know what. We're going to start Drew Locke because if we lose this game like we're supposed to, uh, you know, we can just go back and say this was Don Drew Locke, not us. And another right. uh, one we can do. So I, I think that it's more, you know, maybe they're trying to, to catch the Eagles off guard by saying, you know what? No, Drew Locke, you know, he took first team reps and uh, he may be the guy. And then hopefully the Eagles don't know who to prepare, prepare for. I think that's more likely the scenario, Jude, out of those two. Uh, I I agree with you as well. You know, the the point spread hasn't really changed. It still is about four. So I, I think right now we're still assuming Geno Smith is the starting quarterback, and I think the I think that's the that's the right way to go if you're Seattle. And I think that's really the one of the best ways you're going to win this game. And you need to win this game if you're Seattle. So, um, you lose, it's over. I mean, if it's you lose, you're out of the playoffs. Now, which, you know, I didn't right want
1: there. the season to be done before Christmas, but you know, there's a lot of teams their, their seasons are done before Christmas. I just didn't think the Seahawks would be. Um. So, uh, I am seeing this as well among the actives and inactives, and this is a little disappointing. Um, Jamal Adams is inactive. I'm not really disappointed with that. Is that a positive or negative? Yeah, uh, it's uh, probably a, a. Well, ask me in three hours. Uh, it's it's got to be a positive only because the Seahawks with Jamal Adams on the field were just so ridiculously predictable. The other inactive that is tough for me is uh, Devin Witherspoon. And that's unfortunate. I was hoping that Witherspoon would be active and playing in this game. Uh, Part of that is because we're going to see Jalen Carter on the other side. Now, if you remember this conversation around draft time, I was staunchly for the Seahawks at number five to not take Jalen Carter. I just didn't think that his situation would translate as well in Seattle as it would in another location. I think he's a good player and obviously he's done very well as a defensive rookie and him and Witherspoon are the defensive rookies of the year in that uh, in that chase. That being said, I thought in Philadelphia the infrastructure's there. It's a winning culture. You've got all your Georgia teammates playing with you, you know, and you've got, you know, uh, Fletcher Cox there to help Keep your head on right. You've got a team that knows what it takes to win. You've already got a loaded roster up front. You can plug you in, and and you can start to shine. Now, frankly, the Eagles' run defense has struggled, but their pass rush has been there, and obviously we see Jalen Carter make splash plays. We've seen a lot of splash plays out of Devin Witherspoon as well. I was just hoping that we would see that Witherspoon v. Carter, uh, you know, one of them being on the field every snap of this game, um, would that would have been intriguing. But it's not it, – Witherspoon's not playing tonight. He's got a hip. So that's unfortunate. But it uh, looks like, obviously, Carter will be good to go. So we'll see him uh, with the Eagles going into this game tonight. Uh, that That's a little unfortunate. But the Seahawks, yeah, not having Witherspoon, uh, not having Jamal Adams. Um, I don't know. Maybe play the over. Where's the total at this point? I think the over – I'm thinking about it right now. Where It looks like it's rainy in Seattle as well. There's uh, people got umbrellas out. There's a lot of wet uh, uh, moisture in the air.
3: Total is at uh, 46 and a
1: half. Okay, I would take the over. I, I do think that it's going to get a little Seattle dallas from a few weeks ago. Um, I think it's going to be hard for the Seahawks to slow down the Eagles' run game. The Eagles will find some balance. I think it's going to be hard for them to deal with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Um, I think the Eagles will score. So the way that the Seahawks win this game is by uh, outpacing the Eagles. Uh, if for that to happen, Geno's <laughs> got to play. So I'm really hoping that comes through. But if he does, I expect him to play, and I expect him to play uh, well. The only other thing is Seattle's offensive line, it's on the struggle bus. And it's a tough unit to face when you're on the struggle bus in the Philly pass rush. So maybe the Eagles will win this game going away just because uh, on the field, even though their secondary is gettable and their linebackers are gettable. So, man, I, I don't know. But I, I think the urgency of everything will will bring the best out of the Seahawks offense. So I guess my bet is goes goes over the total and it finishes 27-23. And um, whoever's got 27 is going to win the game, so it might as well be the Seahawks.
3: That's the John Madden quote. You know, if you score more points than your opponents, you win the game. But <laughs> I'd say uh, that's a uh, I like your take there. I, I think Seattle has a legitimate chance in this game against Philadelphia. But I think it's more just the way Philadelphia has been playing and their defense. They've been banged up on the offense side and defense side. So um, I think I, I, you know i like to give Seattle the benefit of the doubt by playing up at Lumen Field. That's always a tough place to play on Thursday or on Monday night. You know when it's in a prime time game. Give me Seattle at home. I usually take those, especially if I'm getting points.
1: Yeah. Well, the good news is we always show up at home in primetime games. Hopefully nobody watched Thanksgiving. <laughs> but they'll they'll be a different team tonight for sure. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the news around the world of sports, uh, some transfer portal news. Dante Moore still considering Oregon. I haven't seen any official word on that yet, but I think that would be a great idea for both sides to get together and let him kind of sit under uh, Dylan Gabriel for uh, for a year, um, maybe have some some spot duty. But we'll unpack that a little bit more as well. As Damian Martinez apparently not playing in the Sun Bowl, uh, or at least doubtful for it, no official ruling yet, but that seems to be where everything's pointing. Also get a couple of Blazer takes from my guy Steven because uh, they had two games over the weekend that left us with a couple things to think about. Uh to Newby, Steven Vaughn in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. <laughs>
0: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Okay, we got breaking news again in the world of college football. And, of course, with timing being everything, I just teased this before the break as something we would talk about. And now we can talk about it with... A little bit more of a degree of um, officialness, Stephen. You told me something uh, right as we were coming back to air. What is the breaking news?
3: Yeah, according to uh, multiple places now, uh, former five-star quarterback from UCLA, Dante Moore, set to transfer to the University of Oregon. According to a lot of places, Dan Landon, the Ducks, they got Dylan Gabriel now. They got Dante Moore to be the backup and the quarterback of the future.
1: Quack, quack. I think you hear us coming. That's the first time I've ever said that out loud. But uh, it seems to, uh, instead of click, clack for Under Armour, which actually doesn't make sense with the Duckies. But uh, it's a big quack, quack moment. Dante Moore to Oregon. Um, Our Oregon Ducks contributor to 750thegame.com, Spencer McLaughlin, who also hosts the Locks on Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He's sometimes guest host on this show. He actually wrote about this on Friday of last week, why Dante Moore to Oregon still makes sense, despite the addition of Dylan Gabriel. And it's something that we started to talk about a little bit in the show on Friday, um, kind of uh, procuring a more long-term development plan at the QB position, rather than just a singular one-stop shop, get the biggest QB off the NIL market and try to pay for them to to play for the University of, of Phil Knight. And now you got a little bit more of a long-term ramp-up. And Dante Moore said as much. He wanted to go to a place where he was going to be developed, first and foremost. Which is not necessarily... I mean, that's, a, that's the thing a lot of kids say, but not a lot of kids mean. Uh, but the way Dante Moore got into UCLA, by the way, committed, decommitted from Oregon, signed with UCLA, had the season that he had which was a disappointing one and uh, had some turbulence and for him to eventually make his way back to Oregon, even after the addition of Dylan Gabriel on the face of it is surprising. It's refreshing. And I think it works out for both sides in this case. What say you?
3: Yeah. I mean, and, and it's completely different than what you hear, what you read about the Dante Moore recruitment, that it was basically who will start me and where can I go to play? And that's why he decommitted from Oregon. Once Bo Nix decided to come back, and he went to UCLA where he got the starting job really soon. And so now, you know, he's going to a place like Oregon where he knows he's not going to be the starting quarterback this season. So, you know, I think you're right. Give Dante Moore a lot of credit maybe for maturing just a lot in that one year. He got humbled a little bit this season at UCLA, and uh, he's willing to be the backup quarterback now. I want to ask you this, Judah, though. Duxland Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore, what is a bigger pickup? in the NIL market and the transfer portal for the Ducks. Is it Dylan Gabriel, or is it for the future where you're going to get, you know, two, three years out of Dante Moore? The bigger pickup is
1: probably Dylan Gabriel, and that's only because I still don't know what Dante Moore is going to be because he disappointed, right? I mean, the evidence that we've seen on the field hasn't been great. It certainly hasn't come close to the five-star hype um, because there is a version of this, even though it's very exciting, Stephen, there's a version of this where he's just Ty Thompson, or or not that right. I mean, we we see guys highly heralded, literally all the time <laughs> that go to colleges, and they don't pan out for one reason or another. Dante Moore is a big name. He's he's is kind of a sexy name out there. He's got the five stars, you know. Hal already had the Oregon connection from the from the original recruitment, the Chip Kelly relationship, but I've yet to see the evidence to substantiate the excitement, right, and the potential. Dylan Gabriel, I even give that a bit of a side-eye just because I know Oklahoma did a lot of good things on offense. They're the only team to beat Texas this year. I also watched the Kansas game where it was like, oh, that's a little bit disappointing, and I saw them stub their toe a couple of times and ultimately not make it to the Big 12 championship game. I need to dig into Dylan Gabriel's game a little bit more I think Will Stein is probably excited to get somebody with his experience and maturity because it's like a left-handed Bo Nix situation. Uh, I know he's got a mobility to his game as well. And frankly, it's going to look really cool seeing a left-handed quarterback in Eugene. I think the aesthetic, I'm all about lefty QBs. I think that aesthetic aesthetic's going to be super fun. But I still think the bigger move is the one year of Gabriel. What do you think? I,
3: yeah, I agree with you. It's just the known known um, equal, the None quantity, equality, the quality, quantity there. Yeah, um, yeah, You know, Dante Moore. You look at the stats: eleven touchdowns, nine picks. QBR was terrible, but. You know, just on the surface, eleven and nine, not terrible, right? But then you dig in a little bit more: four touchdowns, eight interceptions in Pac-12 play. So you know, and
1: you know, some pick sixes in there. Yeah, a lot of zoo games. He
3: really was a bad quarterback in conference play. Now I think it's a great spot for him to go to. You know, with Will Stein, uh, you know, you're going to have a guy like Dylan Gabriel there to help you teach out. You know, he's been in college football for so many years. He's going to be breaking Bo Nix's uh, games played record, I believe and yeah. uh, in the college football game. I, so, yeah.
1: I think if he plays every game in the season, yeah. he can do that.
3: And, and so I think it'll be a good spot for him as well to, you know, hopefully learn from a guy like Dylan Gabriel. So I think it's great for the Ducks and it just shows, you know, the power that Dan Landon has, has in the recruiting portal. Like that, this guy can recruit and bring the guys in. Now it has to translate to the field. It has to translate to Pac-12 championships. So I think it's a big pickup for the Ducks. Uh, I think it's a good, you know, I think a nice, mature decision by Dante Moore yeah. after, you know, you know, skating out of the ducks before, going to UCLA because he knew he could start right away. But now he's gonna get some uh, get some coaching, hopefully be a little bit better when he comes back next season. I think it's a nice pickup there for the Ducks.
1: I'm interested to see what Will Stein does with this moving forward. You know, is Dante Moore a guy to be developed for one year and then, you know, go somewhere else? Probably not. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. Um it makes more sense for him to be Oregon's starting quarterback in two thousand twenty five. Uh, By the way, playing in the Big Ten, and he's from the state of Michigan, you know, you'd think that gives him some incentive as well. But that's the big news. Dante Moore officially committing to the University of Oregon as of about 10 minutes ago. And he'll be QB number two, at least right now, uh, with Dylan Gabriel in the fold as well. The Ducks making big NIL splashes post-Bo Nix. Five at five's coming up next, followed by Monday Night Football. B.
0: B- F.F.T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball, ball face, true.
1: Well, I'll be darned. Looks like Drew Locke's going to play quarterback tonight. Damn. It was a good year for a little while there. <sighs> I'm I'm a little shook. I thought Gino. I thought <laughs> I thought Gino was going to be just fine for this one. Um, I misread it. I misread it. Drew Locke is getting first team snaps uh, in pregame warmups. Gino Smith is active but it hasn't been seen. The hell's going on out here, Steven? <sighs> It's good. I didn't place a bet yet on uh, on either of them, but I'm not. I'm definitely not going to do it now.
3: Yeah, it certainly looks like it's going to be Drew Lock tonight for the Seahawks. Uh, just reporting out there, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I think if you're a Seahawks fan, that's got to be a little disappointing. You, you were hoping for Geno Smith, and now you're getting Drew Locke when your uh, season's on the line. I don't know how I don't know how I feel about that one there, Judah.
1: Well, I'll tell you how I feel. Um, We'll get the 5 at 5 here in a moment. Like, obviously, if I know anything about this stupid league, it's that as soon as I think I know something for certain, I know absolutely nothing. Now, generally, that concept has come back to bite me in the backside when I think a certain team is going to win or cover and it doesn't happen. In this particular instance, I really hope it manifests in my favor because it's hard for me to think that Drew Locke can beat the reigning NFC champions in a game that you have to have. Hard for me to think that. Construct the argument. Seattle gets the ball first and somehow scores a touchdown. You're up 7-0. All right. Um, Get a couple takeaways in there. You get a couple uh, fortunate calls from the refs. Maybe the refs were paid to help you win. I don't know. Something like that. Needs to happen. So Uh, Drew
3: Drew Locke, 304 tutties tonight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who's What has been the best backup QB performance this year that we've seen?
3: Jake Browning.
1: Probably, well, which was Monday night, was it not? Two Mondays ago? Yeah, against the Jaguars. So is there a version of that, you know, in, in this Seattle offense? And obviously Drew has already played once against the 49ers. And look, he, he isn't as bad as people want to think, but he will give the other team the ball at any given moment. He will. He'll do something absolutely dumb, which is what backup quarterbacks do, and it's why they're backup quarterbacks. So this game's going to get weird. It's going to get sloppy. Um, The Seahawks need a couple of turnovers, obviously, on defense to have a chance. Like, that's just it. They're going to need Jalen Hurts to reach for the pylon and fumble out of bounds through the end zone, give the ball back to Seattle on the 20. They're going to need one of those, like, big pendulum swing moments, and they're going to need a couple of them in order to win this game. Now, it's a Monday night in Seattle. Generally, they show up pretty darn well for primetime games at home in big situations, Thanksgiving against the Niners notwithstanding. <laughs> um, all the emotional, you know, sides of me still wants to ride with this Seahawk team. But the logic is, it's hard to override the logic board, as it were. That it's an Eagles defensive line, and pass rush in particular. And a Seahawks offensive line, that's not great. Especially up the middle. They can be gotten. Um, (laughs) The center is weak. Evan Brown, the guards are weak. in Lewis and uh, the rookie that they're starting at right guard. The tackles are their strongest point, but even them have been gettable. And it's an Eagles D-line that's just looking to tee off. Like, they're really pissed off from the Dallas game. But Dallas has world's better offensive line play than Seattle does. So you got to find a way to ram the ball down the Eagles' throats for, you know, 35 minutes of offensive possession and get two turnovers and hope for some good luck. If that happens, Seattle's got a chance. We live to see another day. Drew Locke goes into the Seattle Sports Hall of Fame. Um the other side of that, as Jan Levinson famously said in the office, or they collapse them on in on themselves like a dying star in front of everybody, which could also happen. All right. Let's do the five at five.
3: The five at five.
1: Number one, Steven, what you got?
3: Sounds like you're real, uh, positive going into this game. (laughs) Uh, Number one, Oregon State running back, Damian Martinez. He is now doubtful to play in the Sun Bowl against Notre Dame next week. Interim coach Kefensi Hinson told reporters earlier today, of course, athletic director Scott Barnes announced on December 15th that Martinez would be allowed to play in the bowl game. That was after he was suspended for sus- arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence of intoxicants last month, but since there was no charges filed, Martinez was eligible to play. But Martinez uh, doesn't seem like he's in good enough shape to play, according to the coach. Uh, his team away from the time away from the team makes it very unlikely for him to be physically ready to go against Notre Dame. The spread in that one still six points though, Judah. Yeah, no idea
1: where to go with that one right now. Um, Martinez did tweet as well. He says. Just trying to make a decision that will only have meaningful progression toward my future goals. Still working and staying ready. We'll talk more about this uh, tomorrow as well.
0: Number two. Uh,
3: A little bit of recruiting news here. Uh, Dylan Rayola, ESPN's top pocket passing quarterback in the 2024 recruiting class. He told ESPN he is switching from Georgia to Nebraska. He will be now a cornhusker in Nebraska. Of course, his dad was an All-American in Nebraska. Uh, His uncle Donovan is the offensive line coach. But uh, can you imagine being one of the top quarterbacks and committing to Georgia and then saying, nah, I kind of want to go to Nebraska? That's what uh, Rayol is doing here.
1: I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to at least – but do you think – what kind of NIL dynamics are going on A ton. there? He's getting a ton of money to go there. Also, by the way, Carson Beck announced he's coming back for his senior year at Georgia. So I, I, think, wonder... I think
3: Georgia got the news that he was going to Nebraska and they said, hey, Carson, here's a couple mil. How about you hang out here in Georgia for another year?
1: Which one do you think happened first is my question, unless it was a Bo nix Dante Moore situation. I
3: think, he, I think Rayola got the money at Nebraska wow. first, wow. and then Georgia said, all right, we need to make a move now. Number three. Fascinating. Matt Rule got a big-time QB. We'll see what happens. Well, more uh, transfer news as Dante Moore has officially committed to Oregon. Uh, Of course, he's transferring from UCLA where he once was committed to Oregon, then went to UCLA, kind of struggled last season, but Chip Kelly got him, came in, was a starter for numerous games. He is transferring. He's going to Oregon, and also Oregon picked up a commitment from Indiana transfer, interior offensive lineman Matthew Bedford, who had originally committed to Colorado with the transfer portal. Hey-o. Coach Prime losing out on him. He will also be heading to Oregon. So Oregon boosts up their roster a little bit, improves their depth at quarterback, and then maybe gets an offensive lineman that they can play right away for next season, uh, stealing him from Coach Prime and Dion.
1: That's great. And it's great for the Ducks. And, um, you know, Stephen Jones... First team in all Pac-12 right guard. He's out of eligibility, so he's moving on. So to bolster some interior O line is is great news for Oregon. Number four, as well as getting Dante Moore. Obviously, like I said, I think that's great for their long term future at the position.
3: The NBA, they has uh, they've delivered an invitation to Mac McClung to participate in the 2024 All Star Slam Dunk Contest. According to sources, McClung he won last season and he will have an opportunity to defend his title. Now, McClung is not currently in the NBA. Last season, he was called up from the G League to the 76ers right before the All-Star break. Weird timing there. So he was technically part of the 76ers organization when he won. But this year, he is in the G League playing uh, for the Orlando Magic's G League team. And he was the G League Player of the Month last month, averaging 25 points. But um, he will not be expected to be on an NBA team this time when he plays at the All-Star weekend and defends his dunk title now judah this isn't unprecedented craig hodges back in the day uh he was an eight-time participant in the three-point contest from 1986 to 93 he won the contest three times but in his final one in 1993 he was a free agent as he was waived by chicago and did not sign with another team but the nba initially left him off the field then decided okay you can come back and defend your title he wore a generic NBA jersey in that one. Uh, so Hodges has, there has been president where, you know, a player is not on an NBA roster and has competed in all-star weekend. That was Craig Hodges. So Matt McClung will be the second one to do this, but he'll be on a G League team. So he'll actually have, you know, a jersey. We'll, we'll see what he wears, but Craig Hodges in the infamous uh, generic NBA jersey.
1: You just get like a Rob Lowe jersey.
3: Yeah, you get it like from Goodwill.
1: I'm a big fan of this because for me you need to make the dunk contest cool again. Even though Ann Fernie won it that one year, I still wasn't like oh, all about the dunk contest, but this is great. Uh, getting McClung in there makes gives it a certain cool factor. I, I could care less if he's on an NBA roster.
3: Number five. And of course finally Monday Night Football Seahawks hosting the Eagles. The line now is at the Eagles minus five and going trending that way. Total at forty six as Drew Locke appears to be the starting quarterback for Judah Newby's Seattle Seahawks. He is over there in the other studio crying. I can see the tears. As Drew Locke is in the starting lineup. Seahawks, Eagles, Judah, you got any chance with uh Drew Locke playing today?
1: Uh we'll still we'll still keep it close. I think there's there's money on the Seahawks. Um hard to <sighs> I think that says it all. Eagles. I mean biggest game of the year and Geno can't go. I mean all right. To all my 12s out there, let's hang tough. Talk to you again tomorrow. Enjoy Monday Night Football.
0: Hopefully we could pull out a miracle on 34th Street. Uh, this has been the bald fish truth.